Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Train Pop Culture. Uh, today's episode is another in the Getting to Know You series, where we're going to be discussing books. With me, as always... Johnson. Strawny. Kimbo, baby! <laughs> um, so we are carrying on with this Getting to Know You series. So this episode is about books. Um... We're going through a number of different topics. Start off with, we're looking at our personal history with books and reading. Um, starts off, I'll go first. Uh, I've always been a bit of a bookworm. I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to that. I will get lost in books for hours at a time and then forget what I'm doing. Um, I sort of just inhale them. It's always been the case. I can't really remember when I originally got into reading so to speak but I know that when I was like at junior school I was in part of a book club and books were always bought as gifts at Christmas and whatnot and I remember having like big Hans Christian Andersen omnibuses when I was little and then as I've got older the content of the book has shifted a bit I'm no longer just reading fairy tales but I've I've always had a massive affinity for just getting lost in a book they're portable magic and I love them. So my history has just been, I've always liked them. I've always loved them. And I can't really pinpoint exactly when it was because I feel like I've always had a book in my hand. I'm sort of the opposite to you then, really, because I was, like, no one in my family really reads. I'm the, it might worry that I'm the sophisticated one in my family. And it's, yeah, I, I picked up a, a book of car books there when I was about 12, 13. And then, yeah. I try and read as much as I can, but given my crazy work schedule, it doesn't really work out. So, I read a lot when I was a kid. I'm I'm kind of like that, but instead of staying in love with books, kind of just got a bit fed up of it all. Like, it was alright. Then, someone burnt one of my books, because I forgot it on a park bench, and I had a really pretty papyrus bookmark. It was, like my nan brought me back from Egypt. I remember this. And it was a book about some weird vet story that was aimed at young children. Kimbo likes animals, she had known facts. Um, then <laughs> I came back from Harry Potter. Harry Potter was great. And a couple of other series. And now I just read comics because they're like books, but with pictures. People like pictures. <laughs> I mean, it's, you can't really argue it. <laughs> I mean, that is literally the most accurate description of a comic ever. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's... Well, I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a weirdo, because I got... For me, I got read a lot, too, as a, a child. My mum is like you, Nat. She just inhales books. She's, she reads, like, two or three a week. And... I grew up in basically what is a library. If you go to my parents' house, any surface that's not got art on it is covered in books. And uh, so I got read to a lot as a kid. So I grew up, I grew up having stories told to me, but I, I was never really a re much of a reader myself. And that got sort of that got knocked. Sort of the love of reading got sort of knocked out of me in primary school because because uh, I'm autistic and dyslexic my ability to read as a child is very much compromised so uh when i was 
at school instead of being supported and saying, okay, let's let's see what your problem is. Let's see, you know, one teacher just put me essentially in the remedial reading group. And I was like, yeah, this will help me catch up to everyone else going slower than them. That's the way to do it. So the love of reading got kicked out of me at school, at primary school, and then I sort of grew up a bit. And in English at secondary school, when we finally sort of worked out what was happening, I was given help. And the first book I was at, I actually sat down and read through was unfortunately Pride and Prejudice. And dear Christ, that bored the bollocks off me. Um, I, it was, I, I went to an all-boys school, so strangely, this piece about young women wanting to get married really didn't strike me as a as a young teenager but then seeing that I'd read that my mum said oh you might like this and I got sharp now sharp brought me into my love of reading um and I've read pretty much all of the sharp books and I so I sort of had this weird bit where I got read to a lot didn't really like reading because of my disabilities and then I got I got given I got given the right tool essentially and so I came I had this little gap in the middle where I didn't like books at all and then I got uh, I got it sort of rekind the fire rekindled as it were and yeah I've been going strong ever since just keep just keep reading I mean I live I know my house starts to look like a my parents where we've got an entire li- the spare room is basically a library and there's books all over my house as well. Right, so um, I would touch on it briefly. But I picked up a book at a car boot store when I was younger. It, that is the first book I ever really loved. Um, and it's it catapulted me into a whole few years of reading these books as soon as they came out. And that was a series of unfortunate events. And that for me was it was interesting because it was one of those books that like it almost dared you to put it down like as in the sense that it was if you want them this family to live happily ever after believe so and put the book down now and you're like no no i want to read it i want to carry on reading i want to find out what actually happens and 13 books later you're just like i still don't know what really goes on <laughs> it's just a bit weird um but yeah like it always be like series of unfortunate events for me is the the bad beginning was the, the first book I fell in love with. There's been books that I've fell in love with since, and, and I do love books, but that is the first book I fell in love with. And I'm glad they did the series because they, they butched it with the film. But that's for a separate podcast. Series of Unfortunate <laughs> Events is a great, like, first book love shout. It's not mine, but I, I really enjoyed that was yours. Um, mine, Mine's 100% Harry Potter. Philosopher's Stone. Well, I read the full, but I couldn't record. I couldn't tell you any of the titles of those books. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I would have been like seven, eight, maybe when that came out. When I first got given that, because um, I am a baby, and yeah, like that world just dragged me in. And then when you get older, you're like. Well, J.K. Rowling, you read that J.K. Rowling took this and this from this and this from, and you're like, so you try and read about these other series, and maybe she did take bits from them, but she pulled it into such a captivating world, aimed at an audience so young it would keep, drag them in and keep them there. She made the perfect storm in a teacup. 
And Philosopher's Stone is such a good read. And the film's fairly, fairly well adapted. This isn't a discussion on film. We've already done that. But the the film, I wanted to touch on this because the thing that frustrates me most about the film is small spoilers for the Philosopher's Stone book. I'm sorry. When they do the whole segment where they're getting to the room with the mirror in, the last room where um, the last room to go into is Snape's trap, uh, which is a riddle with potions. Um, and I think two are poison, one sends you backwards, one sends you forwards, and the others do nothing. And you have to drink the correct one to advance to the next room. And instead of Hermione being, oh, stay and look after Ron, Hermione works out the riddle and takes the one to go back so she can look after Ron and send Harry forward. I understand they cut it because it's probably not an entertaining scene, but being a bit of a smarty pants in primary school, like, I really relate to that, and I was like, I was so gutted they cut it from the, the film, because it, it's really well written. Um, yeah, Philosopher's Stone. I, I kind of waffled a bit there, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, no, I was going to say, if you've got a love, you've got a love. I mean, just look at the uh, film podcast. The reason it's two and a half hours is because me and Nat went off on one. So you talking about a love is fine. Well, yeah, no, talking about your passion is one thing. And you've got you've, the thing you fell in love with. For me, I say, you know, the the one that rekindled my love was the Sharp books. But the first book I ever actually really sort of fell in love with, you know, sort of I've read several times uh, is um uh, uh, demon slayer by william king it's from warhammer the warhammer black library so it's set in the tabletop warhammer universe and but it was just really good it was like nothing i'd had ever read uh, sort of I'd, I'd read fantasy before but it was sort of nothing i'd read before it was really sort of really good and, and for for a thing based on a tabletop game, the characters are actually really in depth, and each one's sort of you really understand what they're they're like. And it was only after sort of finishing the book that I realised that it was part of a series. And so, of course, I went back, read the ones beforehand, and then read all the other ones afterwards. And yeah, it was just it was just a really it was a really good sort of fantasy book. It's part and parcel there's um trouble in um demonic wasteland up north uh to uh, a slayer who's a, a dwarf who's been banished by his um clan and to redeem his soul he's got to die bravely in battle so he becomes what's called a slayer someone who takes on de- the most dangerous fighting jobs you know there's a massive monster go kill it you send in a slayer and either they die and redeem themselves or they kill it and have to carry on you know so it's sort of win-win for everyone and that's basically it and his uh, good friend uh felix who's um uh, a bard but also quite a good swordsman it's yeah and the the two of them together then their adventures and so on I, but yeah that was the first one that sort of really gripped me and i was just like i haven't actually read anything i think it was the first adult style one as well because there's it's the first book with real sort of adult themes in as in unlike sharp which is about adults you know but most people can sort of read this one was very much 
you know, there's a sex scene in it, and uh, the, there's the gory detail about how where, where they fight stuff and so on. So it was the first one. I, th- I think that was the thing. I f- first one I felt like, oh, this is the first actual sort of adults only book when I was getting up to the sort of that age. Um, for me, I had to really think about this because the brief was the first book that we loved. And as I say, like I've I've always read, and I've always enjoyed what I was reading, so I dug a bit deeper. And I think the first one that I genuinely fell in love with was not necessarily something that I'd say is like one of my favourite books of all time. It'll it'll be in my top ten, but it just meant the most. It was I was at secondary school, um, and my teacher asked me to stay at the end of a class. And she handed me a copy of The Alchemist, and it was her copy, and she let me borrow it. Um, I think we'd, we'd had this essay that we'd had to write, and I'd written a really great essay, and she gave me a note to pass home to my mum. And I was exceeding, and I'd struggled, because I don't, I didn't test well at school. Like, I'd get stressed out, and I'd panic, and so the scores I'd get when I tested weren't necessarily reflective of my level. And I had a couple of really good teachers at high school I was like in second set for English for a while. And then you got bumped up. I got bumped up to first set because these teachers kind of went, no, she's she's got the skills to be in this set. She just she's tested badly and they kind of tweaked things a little bit for me. And they really looked after me. And Mrs. Kelly, I will remember this lady's name until the day I probably die, um, handed me The Alchemist. And she said, read it. It's not for not for school. You're not going to be tested on it. It's just it's a wonderful book. And I think you'll get a lot out of it. And I remember reading it and just being like, it was amazing because I don't know if I'd, any of you three have read The Alchemist yet, any of the listeners at home, if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's a beautiful story. And it's literally just a boy's journey. He starts off at one location, ends up at another, and then works out where he needs to be. And it's just about, it's very life-affirming. It's about trusting your gut and reading signs and having faith that things will be okay and sometimes they're not and sometimes things look shitty or you think you've made the wrong decision or you've done something a bit rash but everything works out all right in the end you've just got to keep the faith and keep going and it's like a 15 year old girl having something that life affirming and I was 15 coming up 16 16 was a very weird time of my life there was a lot of stuff going on it just meant the absolute world that this adult reached out to me as an adult I wasn't spoken down to she gave me this book as a gift to enjoy as a fellow reader and it was a beautiful book and I've read it multiple times and it will always possibly be the most meaningful one and one that I the first one I ever truly fell in love with because it was just so special the power of a good book and the power of gifting somebody a book say that woman's name will stay with me forever and she did an awful lot for me and she really kindled that fire like I started reading more for the fun of it where like in school you start reading because you have to and you're studying text and making notes and tearing stuff apart because you've got to have essay questions on them and it was just this little nugget of gold where I was reading it just for fun again and I'd not read for fun for a few months at that point and it just it sparked everything back up And I thank her now for me still being an avid reader to this day. 
if it wasn't for her with that kind of gift, I it would probably have burnt out for me as well. And I'd have got back into it at some point, but never with the same passion. She made me passionate about reading. People who make people passionate about reading are excellent. And I think the best type of people who can make you passionate about getting back into reading is a bloody good author. Bloody good authors instill a passion. So I think it's time we spoke about our favourite authors and I don't shoehorn topics into podcasts. <laughs> that sounds that was, that was smooth. Thank you. Thank you. The Segway King has returned. <laughs> uh, the most modest of kings. Yes. Me and my ivory throne. <laughs> but speaking of kings I'm going to talk about my favourite author Who isn't called King at all I just wanted to fake you out thinking I was going to talk about Stephen King Because I'm smart I'm smart No, it's, uh, it's Scott Snyder uh, Scott Snyder is The best Batman author Ever His Batman comics have been Exceptional for a long time um, the work he's done with the Justice League as well is great, but Batman Year One, Batman Year Zero, and now the Dark Knight Metal series, which I have got sat on a shelf. I'm ready to go in. I'm so excited. I've, I've read and seen so much about the Batman Who Laughs that I cannot wait to pick that book up. But I'm tempering myself. And it needs to be the right moment. But, yeah, Scott Snyder for me. Batman as a character is someone I've always gone has got way too much attention. Because, realistically, he's just... A, he's a more miserable Sherlock Holmes with a funny outfit. But, how Scott Snyder writes him, and more importantly, how he writes the Bat family is incredible and he deserves a lot of credit for it. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to pass it along to Alex. Yeah, no, um, no, I can see where you go. It's when you've got someone that just uh, yeah, sort of speaks to you, just sort of grips you. That's, that's why. And mine's going to be, it's, it's not really controversial, but yeah, mine is absolutely Howard Phillips Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft. I have got, I've, I think, between all of my compendiums and individuals and so on, I think I've got everything he ever wrote, apart from his private letters. Obviously, I can't get hold of those. I'm not a millionaire. But, yeah, Lovecraft for me, I first read him when I was uh, in uni. A mate of mine said, oh, you like, uh, you like sort of, uh, you know, horror and dark stuff. You know, give uh, Lovecraft a try. I was like, all right, and sat down and just uh, read some of his stuff. And my God, it was absolutely, absolutely amazing the way he was. It, it, it was he wrote writes, and I mean, no, even today, no one really writes cos sort of horror or sci-fi the way Lovecraft did. It was, it was really the first time that anyone ever had basically gone, yeah, the humans aren't really the important ones here. Uh, it, it took it out of sort of human perspective 
uh, if you read a lot of his stuff, it's it's told in first person of someone trying to understand um, the the events that go on around him. And yeah, it, it's just the way it's just the way he writes. Where it's basically <laughs> uh, like uh, one of them was a whisper in the darkness, where you find out uh, that there's there's a, a, a group of aliens, um, ancient aliens living on Earth. Uh, doing some mining on this mountain and have been doing for hundreds of years but they care so little for humanity that they just ignore them and anyone that gets a bit too close they uh, uh, they sort of drag in and, and say look you found us we can't let you go but what we can do is we can transport you back to our home planet uh, where we can put your mind in a, uh, a mechanical body so you can wander around and see the secrets of the universe you just can't tell any of the humans and you know and so so that again there just shows that that it, to the cosmos humanity is nothing and it was absolutely a revelation to read and he it, it just just grips just how how good of an author he was and you can really see him develop his early work is is quite um it's quite ling linguistically long he sort of adds a lot of eloquent um descriptors in where there's not needs to be and then he sort of reduces that down when he as he grows but yeah for me it's lovecraft just because no one and no one else has been more influential on so many things like the horror genre the sci-fi genre other writers and so on no one has done more for inspiration than Brit lovecraft really for me it's going to come as absolutely no surprise guys what who my author is um i am a constant reader i am a huge stephen king fan um he he just i always feel a bit masochistic when i pick up a stephen king book because i know that I'm going to be transported to these locations that you can almost smell the dirt and the grass and you can picture the people in your head very vividly and they're so well textured and more nuanced. And he's going to make at least one person you care about die because Stephen King. Um, but there's just, there's something brutally joyful about reading his work. He, is such an extraordinary writer and for somebody that 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 kind of writes at the rate that he does so he's not kind of like a book every five years or so he he knocks them out with alarming frequency um but there's never a quality control issue everything is so well written and the characters are so well developed and you care you care almost from the first page he just grabs you by the balls immediately and you've taken on this journey and suddenly the book or the series is over and you're left feeling a bit wounded but happy that you had the experience. He's just, he's extraordinary for me. I've fallen in love with so many of his characters and cried when they've died and been deeply shocked and I've revisited so many of his books and second reading and third reading and fourth reading, I still get the same joy and I still react as strongly even though I know what's going to happen I'm, I'm still like oh god I don't know there's just something about the way he writes it just there's comfort in his universe as different as the stories can be there's definitely an established universe for King 
And so you get this weird sense of familiarity while doing something new with him. And say he can just, he just sucks me in from the get go. Like I'm there and wherever I'm meant to be, probably Derry. Um, <laughs> but he's just, I just think he's extraordinary. I've, I've yet to read a King book and have not thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, he just, he will always be my king of authors. Ooh. Yeah. And strangely on King as well, uh, it, it, King and uh, Lovecraft, uh, King says one of his biggest inspirations was Lovecraft, but also one of the big things that join them as well is both of them set pretty much everything they do in New England, in America. And I've always wondered what on earth happened in New England to make many a horror writer pretty much set their stuff there. Because it's not just those two, there's several other horror writers that have set most of their stuff down. I'm like, what on earth happened in New Bloody England? Something the, in the two of the Clearly, because two of the biggest horror writers ever went, yeah, this is the scariest place on earth. I think that's a good point you made, Kimbo, that um, a good author gets you back into into reading and makes you have a newfound love for reading again. And for me, the, there was only one guy that could possibly have done that, and that was Neil Gaiman. Um, Neil Gaiman, his, his work is, for me, second to none. Um, the fact that he gets critical acclaim from people like Stephen King and Stephen Fry, who, when, they found, when Stephen Fry was writing a Greek mythology book, he found out that Neil Gaiman was writing a Norse mythology book. And went, he went, if, is he doing a series on this? And we need to find this out. So if he's doing a series, there's no point in me writing one. Because Gamer will do it better. And it's been one of those things like, it's, he can write graphic novels, comic books. The guy is all encompassing. And he reads a lot of his own books for Audible and audiobooks like in that out, sort of outlet. And he's a nice guy as well, to the point where if he's in a, an airport traveling around, he'll pop into the bookshop and find where his books are and sign them all and put them back on the shelf. And just go, if you're in this area, I've just been in this place, go pick up a signed copy now for no extra charge. He's Not just, all here are Kate's. Yeah, he's just a really great guy. And yeah, I, I need to read a lot more of his stuff, <laughs> but he's done so much that it's a bit of a daunting task. Yeah, always be game for me. I feel your pain when it comes to um, having a lot of stuff to read for that author. I I could try and get a book in three times, like a new book every couple of days, and I will still never catch up with King. I wanted to add, Sean. I almost picked Gaiman, but literally I'd have been picking Gaiman just for the Sandman boots because Jesus Christ, I don't like horror. But the Sandman books are so wonderfully done and so rich that you can't help but be engrossed in those characters in that world. It, he, he really has a way with it. And 100% I picked Snyder for his work on Batman. But Gaiman and his work on Sandman's just as incredible. Yeah, I've read uh, a few Gaiman as well. One of my favourites of his is um, Neverwhere. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant book. I read, weirdly, it was made into a comic series. I read the comics first and then found out it was a, 
it was actually based off a novel. I was like, well, I'm definitely reading the novel version. Let's see what that does. Yeah. I remember sort of screaming at the book at the, towards the end going, what are you doing, main character? What are you doing? I mean, mum who'd read it went, carry on, carry on. I was like, fine, carried on, got to the end. And he was like, he did what I, he, I wanted him to do. And he did what he should have done. I was like, yes, Gaiman, you're a genius. But isn't it sort of wonderful that we can have these conversations now and you're talking about talented authors and you can legitimately talk about the comic book scene because the talent of the writers for comic books and graphic novels now, it's just, it's its so much more complex than it probably was a few generations ago. And you've got these extraordinary writers that are helping get people back into reading. I don't care how you do it. Reading is a joy. It's a complete gift. You can be transported to, like, I think it's, I can't remember who the quote's from, I know Stephen King has been quoted to say that books are portable magic, but there's somebody who's once said that basically like you, you might not have traveled around the world, but if you invest in books, you can have traveled to hundreds of different locations, whether that's a fictional land in America or a whole other planet, you get these extraordinary authors that can make something that is completely unrealistic and unbelievable feel like you could almost kind of jump into this vortex of a book and come out the other side at that place and you could you can almost kind of feel the people and smell how they smell and taste what they're eating and there's something joyous about an extraordinary author and the fact that we kind of we've gone the gamut from comic books through to kind of more traditional authors just shows you that a good author regardless of the format will get you engaged and we keep using the word rich, like the, it's the character work. Like if you can tell a good story well, uh, these these guys deserve medals because they make life just better. Yeah, kind of pig, piggying back in on your point, and this is probably, again, a separate podcast on its own, but I think the comic book scene's improvement in quality, not, there was, there's been good stories throughout the ages, but we know the good stories throughout the ages, like the back of our hand. Like we know Demon in a Bottle, we know Red Sun, we know Killing Joke. Um, you know these incredible stories from yesteryear. But they, there's a lot of murk in just generic Fantastic Four story, generic Batman story around them. Uh, whereas I think now there's a lot more inclusivity in the writing scene and they've included more characters from different genders and races and sexualities and alien species and whatever else um and having writers that can relate to some of these struggles the human struggles that superpowered individuals that they are writing for are going through i think that massively helps the scene as well and it also forces you know, your classic uh, middle-aged white authors to kind of up their game because they'll get replaced by someone who from a different background because they've wrote an incredible story that's linked to someone of their background. Miss um, Marvel would be the, literally the first character I thought of. Uh, the fact we've had to wait until towards the end of the 2010s to get a uh, Muslim-American superhero is kind of ridiculous to me. 
But the fact they've done her so well and she's such a beloved character shows it was what the scene was asking for for a long time. And I, I, I don't know who wrote Miss Marvel off the top of my head. Um, but for her to have got such a following for that character in such a short period of time is absolutely incredible. Same for Miles Morales as well, Miles Morales Spider-Man. To rip up Peter Parker and go, we're going in a completely different direction. And for people to go, yeah, Miles Morales is a cool fucking Spider-Man. It's it's absolutely insane. Um, I'll stop comic book nerding out right now. Sorry, we need a comic book podcast. What you've said there, there, Kimbo, it's just, it's so legitimate. The Just the diversity now, like, it's got to a point where we can start to now feel almost spoiled because there will be somebody out there in a written format that, anyone on the street would be able to relate to it's not just the filler stuff and the generic stuff anymore there's such a lot more diversity in what's being written and the characters that we're seeing and individuals being legitimized so kind of what you say about race and gender and sexuality and and whatnot like there's there's just such a lot more diversity and a lot more openness because it's not it's unfortunately realistically it's not that long ago where books were being banned because the subject matter wasn't deemed morally okay that's not that long ago in like world history where books would be banned and topics would be vetoed you couldn't touch it you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that and this goes into both kind of kind of more traditional paperbacks and hardbacks and even into comic book scene there was you know the is it guild or certificate that they had to get and you you weren't allowed to write about certain things like there was um I was listening to a podcast a few days ago and it was um Denny something he's passed away recently Strawn can you help I'll try and remember the name oh. and I'll I'll, I'll put I know what you mean in. about the the, the... The comic book code because it was like you couldn't put drug use in, you couldn't do anything like that. And Stanley's basically went like, "No, I'm going to write about it anyway. People want real issues." This Denny guy who said that he remembers when the code was sort of in place. There was a point where they were writing a monster story, and there was this giant monster terrorizing the city, and the cover art was going to be the monster stamping on a police car, and the code went, "You can't have that." because it's disrespecting authority and we were, they were just like dude it's a fucking monster like are you being serious and we just we come, we've come on so far so so far and it's a beautiful thing that there's more freedom in what you can represent now and it's just going to get more people picking up a book whether that's a paperback or a hardback or a graphic novel or just a regular old comic book what whatever that medium and format takes these authors are doing incredible work making stories interesting again and relevant it's keeping everything relevant Uh, just on the comic book code one of my favorite rules of the comic book code is you're not allowed the word flick because of the uh cursive that or and so on that they would use it could come across as fuck so you'd have someone shouting, look out, he's got a fuck knife. 
sorry, but it's one of my favourite little ones if you actually read the comic book code and it's like that. And you you can't have, you know, horror, you can't have depictions of blood, you can't have this, you can't say the word flick and you're like, what? Hang on. It's just one of those odd ones where it just jumps out at you and goes, that's, that's a very odd rule to have. Yeah. But it came about because it came about directly because of EC horror comics uh, from the 50s. Uh, EC horror comics with its stuff like uh, like Creepshow and other ones where they would have these tales of horror and you'd have zombies and you'd have monsters and you'd have these horrible creatures or people taking retribution and whatever and it got debated in um, Congress and they said right fine you can't write about whatever you want then we're putting in this code and I lo- love the fact that it was basically down to w- just because of one publisher basically going yeah we we like horror stuff we're going to write that the entire comic book industry was set back for several generations again another time for a, a comic book card podcast maybe sorry it was so, denny o'neill uh, denny o'neill passed away recently did a lot of the batman comics that's who i was thinking of with the uh, foot stomping quote came to me eventually so, yeah, so just to try and rail this in back from the random comic book tangent that we've managed to, to get on, um, just clearly we're very passionate people about uh, this sort of stuff. And it leads us sort of nicely into the next section, which would be uh, your absolutely favourite book. Now, this isn't this isn't like your, your like the previous ones, you know, the first book, the, but it's just... It can just be your favourite book. And for me, it's City and the Stars by Arthur C. Clarke. I've read that God knows how many times, and it's it's just a really, really good, really good book. Uh, it's Arthur C. Clarke, so, you know, it's going to be well-written, and it's sci-fi. But uh, it's about, if you, if you don't know, it's about uh, he, um, the last... Uh, it's about a, set in about a billion years in the future and humanity is reduced to living in this one city uh, humanity have gotten over death uh, all humans are now immortal but to get over the sort of sort of fatigue and boredom uh, what they do is they chant every well, about a thousand um, once they reach about a thousand they transfer their minds into the computer's memory banks and let someone else out to take a new body and this cycle has continued for you know about a million years you know several million years and humanity just exists in this constant rotor and uh, the story is that one person gets revived and when you're about 20 your memories are meant to come back the the system sort of kicks in and all your past lives are meant to kick back in and you as a full human again are meant to come around this one kid is an anomaly the computer just created a human out of nowhere and it's about how he sort of deals with being being the first human in like a million years and how he breaks and sort of goes exploring because it's just i'm not going to ruin anything other than it's just a really 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 good read and it it's got that sort of nihilistic aspect to it like a lot of sort of Lovecraft because there's a bit where he breaks out of the city manages to find a spaceship and goes searching for alien life turns out strangely 
after a after a billion years there's pretty much nothing out there he seems remnants of old civilizations and he sort of comes back to earth and try and goes oh crap it's just us uh, but it's a really really good read unsurprisingly i really struggled to narrow this down to one i managed to narrow it down to three so i'm going to do a super tldr version <laughs> um for me my favorite books dark tower is a series is extraordinary there's a lot of time there's seven books and they're well textured they're well written the story's fantastic the characters are incredible i'm currently halfway through my second visit to the dark tower series and i'm just as in love with it as i was the first time even though i know what's going to happen um the book thief is just a beautiful book um the narrator is incredible the way the story is told is fantastic it's heartbreaking and heartwarming and just glorious it's a beautiful beautiful book and i will probably end up reading that about 80 times before i die and invisible monsters um by chuck planiuk wrote fight club it was one of the first books i ever read in such a unique format because it's not told um in a linear fashion you jump back and forward in time and you don't really know what's going on at any given time but you're gripped by the balls immediately like the first page of this book you're greeted by there's a woman stood at the top of a staircase in a manor house that's burning down she's in the wire frame of a wedding dress holding a shotgun and there's a woman at the bottom of the stairs with a shotgun wound in her abdomen and a woman with a lot of netting around her head next to her trying to stop the bleeding. And you know that this isn't the start of the story. It's the first page in the book. But you immediately know that this is like part of the end game of the story. And you just it was the first time ever I've read something in that sort of format. And it just revolutionized everything for me because you basically you've been given the end immediately. And then you're taken on the journey back and forward in time as to how you get there and then you get a little bit after that and it was just incredible it was something a friend lent me when I was at school and it was just glorious I have currently I've owned three copies of the book (laughs) I lent one out and never got it back and I bought a special edition version of it and I don't know how many times I've read it it brings me joy every time just because it's so fun and it's so out of kilter with anything else I've ever read or will ever read no matter how many times I go back to it, it feels like you're reading it for the first time. It's just brilliant. It's just, they're all, well, there's a book series there, but all three, no matter how many times I return to them, I get the same wave of just pure joy and go on this in-depth journey every single time without fail. They never fail to deliver. I like you, Burns. Um, I struggle with this one because there's, there's books that I, I really love and I have favourites and to narrow it down to one was really hard. But my favourite book um, is The Heroine Diaries by Nikki Six. Because that book, it's, it's, it's his uh, diaries, a year in his life from I think 1988. And the first entry is I'm under the Christmas tree with a needle in my arm and a knife in my hand. And you're like, well, shit, this is going to be a very deep fucking read. And it goes through when he 
was clinically dead and everything. It's like commentary from all the people around him. Really well written. Highly recommend it. It's quite expensive to get hold of now, but if you get the audiobook, it's dirt cheap. Um, yeah, it'll be heroin dies for as long as I live. So, like Nat and Strawn, I struggled. However, I'm just going to throw two very quick hype shout-outs to two books slash series, and then talk about my choice. So, Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe is exceptional. Fuck anyone who thinks otherwise. That story is incredible. The, the oof, I'm not talking about it. Uh, the other one I'm going to shout out is Harry Potter, because it's just truly magical. Like, it gets its claws into you, and it drags you up. However, I'm going to talk about The Inheritance Cycle as my favourite books of all time, because it's a series, and to talk about just, like, one in there would be a bit weird. Um, so, the series, if you're not sure, is a series of four books, all based around the character Aragorn and his dragon Sphera and their adventure. Uh, the books are called... Aragorn is the opener, the first book. Then Aldist, Brissinger, which means fire in Elven, and Inheritance rounds up the cycle. Um, and they're just really... Powellini, who's the author, was 14 when he wrote Aragorn. 14! That is not, that is not the work of a 14-year-old boy. That is a well-crafted story with well-crafted characters. Uh, Aragorn and Sphera... Sephira's relationship and that development is kind of this, this, the, the hook in the first book. And then the things they add on in the second and third book is exceptional. Inheritance is a weekend. I'm not the happiest with how the series ends. But I don't think many series are like, oh, this ended on a really great note. Because I think you always want more of a good series. Um... But as a whole, Brissinger and Aldis especially are incredible. I would, I can read, I'd speed through Aragon to just reread those two and then forget Inheritance because they are that good. Um, yeah, that's that's me done. Fourteen is an extraordinary age to be writing something that's so well known. Like it's a, it's a series that I'm aware of. Never got round to reading them myself, but fourteen. I could barely get up in the morning for school at 14, let alone write a well-established world. <laughs> Mind-boggling. Well, I failed English, so there's no way I was writing it at that age. Christ, like, I know I write little bits here and there, but at that age, I'd write two lines and be like, yeah, that's enough. That's a thousand-word essay and something within two lines. That'll do. Well, that seems like a nice place to end um, for once we've not rabbited on. So look at you guys. Um, if you've enjoyed the episode, keep an eye on socials. We'll be letting you know when more are going out in the future. There'll be more to this series. Um, get in touch. It'll be lovely to hear what you think. What were your books? Email us, trainpopculture at gmail.com. Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. We are Train Pop Culture, And you can find us on Twitter at culture underscore train. But for now, that is it. Skull. Prost. Slangy Vart. Beer.